Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another edition of the SP Nation College Football Recruiting Podcast. This is Bud Elliott, the National Recruiting Director for SP Nation and its team blogs, and uh, I am back from a nice vacation in Italy. Took uh, 10 nights over there and uh, got to see Rome, Florence, and Venice. I feel like from a recruiting standpoint, I, I timed it up pretty well. We, we had things happening in recruiting as recruiting never sleeps, but um, you know, not not major things. So l- l- let's actually take more of a totality look this week. Um, and first start off with some of the best commitments from the month of May. Uh, North Carolina added a big-time uh, linebacker, Peyton Wilson, out of Hillsboro, 6'4", 225, 230, very athletic. Uh, that that's a heck of a get to, to land the top hundred national player, assuming that ranking holds up uh, on North Carolina on the defensive side of the football, where before you know they were really more of an offensive uh, type team. For, for them to land a defensive player of that caliber is really impressive, and, and maybe speaks to North Carolina if they can get a couple more of these type guys uh, being able to play some some quality defense going forward. Really, in Chapel Hill for the longest time, it seems like they've uh, they've been focused more on the offensive side of the ball. UCLA got uh, four-star safety uh, Stephen Blaylock from Bellflower, California, uh, St. John Bosco. Obviously, if you're any type of uh, college ball recruiting fan, you know St. John Bosco, major powerhouse there in California. Uh, Texas flipped Caden Stearns from LSU. That was a bit of a surprise. Uh, he is a four-star safety, borderline five-star type uh, out of Texas, and the Longhorns are, are just doing a great job right now on a recruiting trail, commit after commit, and and not just numbers, but, but also quality. Uh, Tom Herman, as we talked about on a podcast several months ago, this is the make-or-break year oftentimes for first-year head coaches. The, the first recruiting class is not really a big of a deal. You only have a couple months to make relationships with the kids. The first full recruiting class, which comes um, you know after your first signing day, that's going to be the one that really makes or breaks you in, in most cases. Uh, and here, Tom Herman is off to a great start at Texas. And, God, if you, if you watch the NFL draft, the, the Big 12 needs Texas to become Texas again. Oklahoma can somewhat do it, but they can't do it on, on their own. And the rest of these Big 12 schools just don't have the cachet uh, to, to bring in enough elite recruits and, and turn them into top talents and, and become nationally relevant. Uh, we, we, we saw it with pick your school that was decent for a while in the Big 12 while Texas was down, but they couldn't sustain it, and they really couldn't get over that hump into a national championship-type game. The Big 12 badly needs Texas to do this, and and Texas is doing it. They they have a young, aggressive staff that's going out and making good contacts with kids or seeming to avoid uh, some of the mistakes made in the Charlie Strong administration and yet benefiting as well from some of the, the pluses of the Charlie Strong administration uh, I feel like Herman is inheriting Texas at a much better place uh, than Strong inherited it from Mac Brown. Kentucky uh, picked up four-star guard uh, Marquan McCall. He's out of Oak Park, Michigan, uh, widely considered one of the best five guard prospects nationally, and that's that's a hell of a get. I mean, a, a big-time player, huge, but can also move. You don't see schools like Kentucky sign a kid like this. So I'm interested in knowing more about his backstory and exactly why he picked Kentucky. I I have not spoken with him, so hopefully I'll run into him on the camp circuit and pick his brain and and say, hey, 
Um, you know, good for you have, having the, the, the guts to go out and, and, and follow your heart. What, why was Kentucky the right fit for you? Um, maybe there's some sort of um, legacy situation here that, that, that I'm not familiar with. And then finally, uh, Michigan made a move and, and got its quarterback, four-star Orlando Olympia High School quarterback, Joe Milton. Uh, Milton is a really intriguing prospect. I, I've seen him a lot on the camp circuit and in high school games. Uh, he has a, a huge arm. I mean, just one of the strongest arms you will ever see. He's 6'6", 230-ish, maybe high 230s, and can do a backflip at that size. I've seen him do it in celebration of throwing a touchdown in the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. Very athletic. Doesn't like being called a dual-threat quarterback, but uh, look, you can call yourself whatever you want. It, you are what you are, and he is definitely a dual-threat. Now, choosing Michigan will definitely help him develop more of his pro-style passing game aspects because that's what Michigan runs, and they don't place a great emphasis on quarterback mobility. And I think Michigan's a good choice if, that, if that's what he's trying to develop. Clearly, uh, Milton, if, if you've seen him, his highlights will, will, will blow you away. Highlights don't tell the whole story, though. Uh, he has major accuracy issues, uh, sometimes can be pretty slow to read defenses, even in a seven-on-seven setting where there's no pass rush and uh, you know, everything is, is set up for the quarterback to succeed. You know, I, I thought one notable example of this, he threw an amazing strike on a skinny post to, to score a touchdown for his team in a seven-on-seven tournament. And on the resulting two-point conversion attempt, he, he goes and he's got a guy wide open goes to throw it, could just loft the ball to the receiver. I mean, the guy's wide open. There's there's no real pressure there. Rockets it at, at the guy. It's an inaccurate throw. Um, not the appropriate level or amount of velocity you'd want on the thing. And it, it's, off the, it's off the receiver's back shoulder, shoots up into the air, and is intercepted. So that part of his game is going to have to come along. Some people think you can teach accuracy. Some people don't. I'm of the opinion that it's very difficult to teach accuracy to the extent that accuracy comes from the hand, right? Like the, your ability to impart natural feel and spin and touch on the ball with your hand. I think that's very difficult to teach. However, I think there are other elements that do improve accuracy. Number one, footwork. If you're throwing from a balanced position more frequently, thanks to improved footwork, you're likely to have better results and be more accurate. Additionally, how you grip the ball could make a big difference. You, know, you may not be able to, to, to impact exactly how a guy spends it, but if you if you work with his grip a little bit, having him with, with a more optimal grip of the football, that's potentially you know could, could have the ability uh, to to improve his throwing. And, and look, he's going to make defenses pay with his arm. He just has to make sure he doesn't make his own team pay with the interceptions and, and the inaccuracy, inaccuracy problems. It's an interesting get for Michigan, though. Michigan already had uh, two former four-stars in previous classes, uh, Peters, Brandon Peters, out of Indianapolis, and then also Dylan McCaffrey, the younger brother of Christian McCaffrey out of Colorado, who they signed in recent years. So certainly I think Milton will go to Michigan and will sit the bench for two or three years, most likely, uh, and learn and develop. And that is probably the best-case scenario for him, is to actually take a lot of time Absorb that quality coaching uh, from Jim Harbaugh and, and Pep Hamilton. I think those are, are quality quarterback coaches, and they they got themselves 
a project with extremely high upside and potentially significant downside if it doesn't develop. So we'll, we'll just have to watch and, and keep observing that. Now let's pivot and talk about some trends. Uh, after losing quarterback commit uh, Cam Rising to Texas, uh, Oklahoma is back on the market for a QB. I, I covered this along with uh, Morgan Moriarty in our latest edition of Recruit Dominoes, QB Dominoes. We, we talk about the QB Dominoes and how they fall uh, every year, how a kid looks around and he's like, huh, i got to consider my options here. I don't want to commit too early because I, I might be foreclosing, you know, closing the door on better options, but I don't want to wait too long uh, and potentially lose out on, uh, you know, on options that are on the table that could disappear. And consequently, schools are the same way. They, they have to decide, do we want to take a commit? from this kid? Or do we want to wait on another kid? When should we offer this prospect? All those things are important factors in in the world of quarterback recruiting. And it's a delicate dance that both schools and prospects must must execute here. Um, It's, it makes it tough. So Oklahoma lost Cam Rising to Texas. Uh, we, We profiled that. So now the Sooners need a QB and it could be former Cal QB commit Adrian Martinez. He's out of California. Uh, Martinez back on the market. A lot of Oklahoma people feeling pretty good about this. Uh, A lot of Tennessee people also feeling good about this. We know that that, uh, Martinez has visited Tennessee. Oklahoma went to see uh, Martinez as well. I honestly don't know where he's going to go. I'm pretty sure it'll be one of those two at this point. I'm also interested, if it is Tennessee, to see what happens with, with Michael Penix, quarterback out of Tampa Bay Tech who committed to Tennessee probably I don't know, five, six weeks ago. That'll be interesting to, to, to track. Does, does Tennessee want to take two commits? Probably. Does Penix want to play or sign in the same class as another quarterback? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's something that, that you're going to have to watch and see. A lot of times quarterbacks don't, you know, well, a lot of times quarterbacks would prefer to be the only QB in that class because at that point, uh, absent some sort of, of redshirt deal, uh, transfer for one player, is almost an inevitability. Also, uh, Oregon has picked up nine commitments in the span of a month, starting uh, in the second week in April. That's pretty damn good. And and what makes it even more good is that they are not only nine commitments, that's a lot of volume, six of those players are four-star rated players at this early juncture. And, And look, star ratings early on don't mean a whole lot. But I'm more inclined to believe a four-star rating early on than I am a three because for the simple fact that the rating services, I think, are a little bit more inclined to bump a player's rating later if he proves that that he earns it than they are to downgrade a player because of the negative backlash that they'll receive upon doing so, especially if the kid is already committed or likely to commit to a place. So they're a little bit reluctant to slap these early four- and five-star tags on kids in the early goings. Uh, I looked this morning, and, and I saw 247 only had nine five-stars, not on the composite but on their own rankings. And I applaud them for that. We should wait longer as an industry to rank kids. And the reason why kids are ranked early on is so that these websites can sell subscriptions, basically, because their their subscribers want to know, how many stars is this kid rated? That's Look, it's just good business to do it. I'm not sure it's the most accurate way to do it, but if you are going to do it and and rank kids early on, it's good to be conservative with your early rankings and then adjust as you you gather more data, more evaluation, 
you know, that more, more opportunities to see these kids. So for Oregon to have six four-stars in the early going, it's damn impressive. I mean, there are years where Oregon hasn't signed six four-stars total. Four of them are from California, one from Colorado, one from Florida, one from North Carolina, and they have a, I believe, a junior college kid out of Arizona, and I'm not, I'm not sure where he's originally from. They flipped Isaiah Bolden from Florida State out of the Wiregrass area, which is kind of uh, northeast Tampa. Just a great start for Willie Taggart at Oregon on the recruiting trail after a really rough start with, with the assistant getting a DUI and then the whole uh, rhabdo thing with, with his strength coach. Uh, I can't speak to those as much, but on the recruiting standpoint, they're doing a great job, and he has to because, let's face it, the landscape at Oregon is not the same as it was when Chip Kelly took over. You know, USC is no longer on sanctions. Washington is no longer screwing around. Stanford is much more established now than they were when Chip took over. Uh, so he has to bring in elite-level talent, Taggart does, at Oregon if he wants to compete. And so far, it looks like looks like he's doing that. We'll see how many more he'll be able to add to the class. But, but the key with Oregon, as always, is getting kids to visit early because it's such an expensive trip out there. I, I know I'm looking at booking our flights uh, for the opening, and my flight's going to be well over $1,000 from Florida, two months out, basically. It's not cheap. And if you want to bring your folks out there, that's not cheap. And somehow Oregon has, has secured these kids' visits, and the kids have to pay for it, or the parents or their schools or something. Um, the, the colleges can't pay for it, and they're really going. That's a big deal. So very, uh, very interesting there. Next thing I want to talk about here, did you see that Lincoln Riley got a contract extension in Oklahoma? Their offensive coordinator, an excellent recruiter. And it came out, uh, I believe their school president or AD, one of the two, uh, said that a large reason for the timing of the extension, the three-year deal, uh, was because of recruiting. And I'm certain that the implication there is that Texas and some other schools are negatively recruiting Oklahoma on the offensive side of the ball saying, hey, the, the, the wonder kid, Lake O'Reilly, won't be there during your career. He's going to leave to get another job. And look, he probably will. But this at least gives Oklahoma a puncher's chance on a recruiting trail to say, look, he's not guaranteed to go get another job as a head coach. We just gave him a big-time three-year extension worth $4 million. That's important. That helps. So it, it, it is interesting to see how recruiting extensions play in, not only for head coaches, which we've seen in the past. A lot of head coaches get extensions uh, not so much to prevent them from going to other jobs, but uh, to sh- to kind of show face to recruits to say, hey, I am going to be here for the long haul. I'm not going to be fired, even if they're later fired, like Gene Chizik uh, at Auburn. With the assistants, I think it's less about potentially being fired, obviously, as it is wanting to show recruits, hey, I- I'm not guaranteed to leave. For another job, you know, Brent Venables gets an extension at, at, at Clemson some time back, and that helps them show show recruits, hey, I, I'm not guaranteed to just jump for any job. I love Clemson, and I'm being compensated very well here. So, Oklahoma having to go out and shell out uh, over a million dollars a year and extend him for their uh, their superstar coordinator, Lincoln Riley. Turn now to the uh, 247 Sports Composite Team Rankings, and uh, there's definitely some weirdness going on here. If you check this out, uh, Alabama is 46th nationally 
as of this recording. Georgia is 63rd. On the flip side, Minnesota is 11th, Northwestern is 13th, and Kansas is 22nd. Just a couple moments ago, I was discussing early recruiting rankings and how I don't pay them all that much attention, and I think this is a great way of illustrating that. Do you really think Alabama, who has signed the number one class in each of the last seven years, is going to stay number 46? Or that Georgia, who signed a number three class last year, which was better than number one classes in several previous years, just happened to go up against historical Ohio State and uh, or historic Ohio State and Alabama classes. Do you really think they're going to stay 63rd? Or that Minnesota can stay 11th or Northwestern 13th or Kansas 22nd? No, of course not. The, the key here is that early recruiting team rankings are, are so heavily influenced because they're algorithmic and they, they respond to the stimuli and the data you put in them, that if you have a lot of commits, you go way up. And there's quite, there's quite a lot of imbalance in the number of commits early on in these team rankings. For instance, the team with the most commits in the team rankings looks to be Miami. They're number one. Minnesota has 14 commits. Northwestern is 13. Kansas is eight. Alabama and Georgia only have three apiece, which basically means they're just waiting to make their moves, figuring out who they want, and, and that's okay. That's not necessarily a bad strategy. In looking at this, I asked myself, which team is likely to move the least? Okay. I, I think you can strike Alabama uh, because they are most likely going to, to move by you know, 40-something spots. Uh, I'd be shocked to see them finish outside the top five. Georgia is uh, 63rd currently. I mean, again, they're not going to finish outside the top. Very conservatively, they're not going to finish outside the top, what, 15? Then you got Kansas 22nd, Minnesota 11th, Northwestern 13th. I got to tell you, it might be Kansas that has the most staying power out out of this group relative to where they are. I could see Kansas only sliding back 20 spots or... Or maybe it's Minnesota. P.J. Fleck is doing a great job at Minnesota. He's ruffling some feathers up at the Big Ten, and and he kind of reminds me of like Urban Meyer on a much smaller scale. If we recall, when Urban Meyer got to the Big Ten, he had a lot of older coaches who complained about how he was doing things and how that's, you know, we don't want that sort of SEC cutthroat style of recruiting uh, coming up in Big Ten country. That's just not how we do things here. Well, if it's not against the rules, smart coaches are, are going to you know, take advantage of those loopholes and, and, and take advantage of, of what a strong work ethic will do for you. And they're going to press. And and just like Urban Meyer has, P.J. Fleck is doing a great job early on. And, look, they're not going to finish with the number 11 class in the country. But it, it's, it's not entirely crazy to think that Minnesota, if they have good year on the field, could have a top 25 class, which would be a tremendous, tremendous get. For P.J. Fleck. I I definitely like that a lot. Um, Love seeing young coaches come in and and, and recruit. Recruiting is, in my opinion, the the most important part of college ball recruiting or of of college ball coaching because you are not only the coach, but also the GM. It's a big deal. Uh, I updated my annual piece on how short receivers are not getting drafted early. 
but it's not the case for short cornerbacks. They are getting drafted early. Uh, so I, I put together this year, and I always go year by year, but this year I, I now had five years of data uh, to go with. And, and, and so I, I looked at it and I said, okay, in the last five drafts, 73 DBs under six foot have gone in the first five rounds. You want to know what the number of receivers is under six foot who have gone in those first five rounds in the last five seasons? Only 32. Less than half. About 70% of your picks at those two positions who are under six foot are going to be defensive backs. And look, it's true that there are somewhat more defensive backs overall drafted than receivers, but not, not this many. It doesn't account for the height, you know, preference gap that we see. The disparity is a, is one of height. It's not one of just pure picks. And if I'm a recruit, I'm sitting here thinking, and I talk to recruits about this, and they, they don't really buy it. But maybe they should. The NFL rules that prevent all, all this clutching and grabbing, it, it's just a paradise for small receivers. And, and as such, small receiver skills are devalued because almost – Almost any decent slot receiver out there can go and, and play. And so slot receivers are not getting paid via the draft. They're not really getting paid that much in free agency. Um, but they're certainly not getting paid via high draft picks as teams continue to look for positions that are more difficult to fill. Um, it's sort of like how we saw a running back maybe 10 years ago when teams figured out they didn't need just one guy. They could they could go with a committee spread you know spread out their risk uh sort of between multiple backs and yet also uh generate similar production. If I'm a short receiver out there, I'm probably looking and thinking, man, I I should uh you know maybe consider playing a little uh maybe maybe a little DB and, and at least try it. See if you can do it because your chance of getting drafted highly as a short DB are really are just that much better than they are if you are a uh a short receiver. All right, now we can get into a little bit of sort of what I'm hearing on where some of the top 10 players in the country who are uncommitted uh, could end up. First, we'll start with Micah Parsons, who is the number one uh, uncommitted defensive end in the country, at least according to the rankings. I, I think I might actually take KJ Henry over him, but, you know, for now, whatever. Uh, he decommitted for Penn State recently. There was some controversy that he named his dog something Ohio State-related. Most people think Ohio State could be in the best position for him. He's out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That would be uh, quite a blow uh, for Penn State not to get him back. But but I don't think Penn State is totally out of that recruitment. Uh, just had to wait and see there. I know that Parsons also today tweeted about how Nick Saban was the greatest. And uh, I don't know if he was on a visit yet. I have to go check on that. Uh, to Alabama, but certainly was tweeting some positive Alabama things. And I know that Florida and Florida State and Georgia are all involved with him as well. So that that, that one actually could be a little bit uh, before it finishes off. Pat Sertan Jr., yes, uh, you are old and you do feel old uh, when a guy like this commits. Um, continues to have a top two of LSU and Florida State. Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty well sourced at Florida State. I have some decent contacts at LSU as well. And I will tell you that my LSU people feel a little bit better than my Florida State people about this, but I don't think either side is conceding that the thing is over or uh, you know, claiming that this race is over. Zamir White, 
excellent running back out of North Carolina. For a long time, people thought he was headed to Clemson, uh, planning to commit at the end of June. I still think George is actually going to be the favorite here. White is just such an electric player. Uh, great moves, awesome balance, just quick twitches all get out, man. A, a fun player to watch. Number one running back in the country. I, I like Georgia for him. Um, Jamari Sellier is another kid who I really like, and, and I like that he loves playing guard. He was actually one of the rare kids invited to the opening last year. That almost never happens for an underclassman lineman. Uh, the number one guard in the country, a four or five star, depending on where you look. He's out of Atlanta, out of the Pace Academy. And I think there's a real chance that, that Georgia keeps him in state. The, the top out-of-state competition for Jamari is going to be Clemson. Clemson, which I'll talk about probably in the coming weeks at some point. I have a, a cool thing coming out on him. But Clemson is going to be very hard up for spots this year. But Jamari's a kid who, if he wants in, Certainly, we'll, we'll be able to have a spot. Uh, Jackson Carmen out of Ohio. Again, this is another battle that Clemson's involved in, but I, I think they're probably running second to Ohio State. I know Florida State's trying to get in there. I know Alabama is also involved. Uh, the most recent visit he took was to Ohio State. Um, I'm just going to wait and see which other visits he takes. He said some great things about Clemson recently. We may have a video of him on SPNation.com, Jackson Carmen. Just search for that or on our, our Facebook page, the SPNation College Football Facebook page. You do the number one or the number two offensive tackle in the nation, about 6'6", 290. And I like kids early on who have great body control because it's so tough for these large body athletes to really control all that mass and, and use it in a refined, quick twitch way. But, but Carmen seems to have the ability to do that, which I like. And look, that's why he's rated number one. Terrace Marshall Jr. out of uh, out of uh, Bossier City, Parkway High School. I like LSU for him. I think LSU is going to throw the football a lot more this year. Marshall Jr. is going to be put in a position in that offense to go up and get the football a lot, I think. And I, I really don't think that the TCU and LSU folks who think they have a real shot, I, I don't really buy that as much. I think as long as LSU shows some progress on offense – uh, and I expect they will. And not only progress, but a noted stylistic change on offense. I think there's a real chance that uh, that he could go to LSU. Anthony Cook out of Houston Lamar. I, I really don't have a great read on where he's going to go. A lot of people think he's the best corner in the country. Uh, having seen both, I would not take him over Pat Sertan Jr. I think Pat Sertan Jr. is better. But I think both are elite players, and I would love to have them both uh, if I was a college coach on my team, I, it's kind of hard for me to see him getting away from, from Texas. I, I know that he likes Ohio State a lot and has mentioned Ohio State and the Buckeyes. But, man, I, I don't know. I, I, I Maybe Ohio State will pull him. But, God, it for Tom Herman to let the top, recruit, the, the top cornerback recruit in the country out of Houston where he's supposed to have great ties, let him go to Ohio State, and and I, I use the term let as, as in like he has total control over it. Certainly he doesn't. The, the recruit has autonomy. Uh, that, that'd be surprising. Then a couple other ones. B.J. Foster, who is the number one safety in the country, coming off a knee injury, so I haven't seen him play in almost a year. I expect him at this point to go to Texas. K.J. Henry, who, like I said earlier, I think is actually the true number one defensive end 
in the country. Uh, most people think he's at North Carolina, but most people think he will head up to Clemson. Again, this Clemson class could just be outrageously good. Um, Tyreek Johnson, the younger brother of DeAndre Johnson, an elite-level uh, defensive back recruit. Not entirely sure where he's going to go. I think he's going to be a kid who, who takes it to the finish line. Amandro St. Brown, the younger brother of Equinamius St. Brown. I think he's all Notre Dame, assuming Notre Dame has a good year. Uh, just tremendous. Not a big guy, but he plays big and has a great feel for the game. Big-time speed and quickness, uh, strong hands. Like him a whole lot. That should probably do it. Uh, you know, we've got a couple more kids we, we could discuss, but I'll probably save those for the next podcast. If you guys have questions, please do make sure to hit me up on Twitter. That's at SBN Recruiting, and uh, we always like that. I'm trying to think here for you. Anything else that you might want to discuss? Um, four-star linebacker Taraja Mitchell is visiting Fort State this weekend. He's coming down to um, Ohio State and FSU as his final two. Um, and a couple kids who have, have rose up in, in, in the rankings a little bit recently, Tyson Campbell, a DB out of American Heritage, has, has run some just freakishly good track times recently. And when you pair that with his frame, I mean, six, two and a half, buck 80, that's, that's really encouraging. Um, and I continue to hear good things about Jacob Sermon, the quarterback Committed to Washington, out of Washington State. I have not seen him in person yet, so I look forward to getting out there in a couple weeks and seeing him. I'll be doing a little West Coast trip. And, you know, I'm interested to see what happens with with Penn State quarterback Justin Fields and and Ohio State quarterback Emory Jones. They're they're both out of Georgia. They're both committed to schools up north. And uh, I think if you ask most people in recruiting business, the odds of them both sticking with those commitments are, are not that good. Jones and, and uh, Fields are both taking visits to other schools. And look, they're obviously still visiting their schools as well. Um, they're the schools to which they're committed uh, that they're still visiting, but they are also making other visits. And look, I think that schools still recruiting them this hard have to be getting some kind of feedback that they're still somewhat open to being recruited, which is, you know, probably smart because anything can happen. Uh, but that that's definitely going to be something to watch there. All right. I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend and enjoy this. And we're going to start doing these shows uh, weekly. So look for that. And we'll have some more guests on in the near future. For now, this is Bud Elliott of SB Nation with your uh, weekly recruiting recap on the SB Nation College Football Recruiting Podcast. Thanks, y'all.